This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why, the podcast that's all about digging into big questions and tricky topics via honest conversations. This week is not only the end of a series, it also happens to be a hundredth episode, so we thought we'd try something a bit different. My producer Steve, who is the host of phenomenally successful podcast You, Me and the Big C, is going to interview me. I'm just saying off mic, I feel extremely nervous actually about this and massively unprepared there's no need to clammy (laughs) there's no need to like i'll be gentle oh but you know there's definitely um a safety in hiding in the role of the host because you're in control yeah yeah i think it definitely is but you see i've i've sat here now for the best part of 100 episodes and i've listened to you interview all these amazing people have these incredible conversations and and yeah i said to you the other week didn't i that i just think it's about time we found out a little bit more about you. Shit! <laughs> Should we just crack on? Should we just get into it? Because Yeah, go for it. Uh, because um, every time you've asked your, uh, your guest, you know, your first three questions, I've, I've, I've often thought to myself, I wonder what uh, Clemmy's favourite crisp actually is. My um, favourite crisp? Hang on, hang on, hang on. I haven't Sorry. asked you yet. Hold the okay. horses. So... How are you really? What star sign are you? And what's your favourite crisps? And we'll also do, because you chucked chuck this in a couple of times, have you got a secret talent or party trick? Okay, how am I really? I am actually physically totally broken. We have done, um, it's the it's second week of the Easter holidays, and Ben and I have done a kind of 12-hour days of DIY and parenting. Um but we moved into our kitchen last night, which is like five years of dreams come true. So I'm I'm exhausted but happy. Exhausted but happy. What's your star sign? Well, you don't care, Steve, but I will humour myself <laughs> with this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't even pretend to be that no, bothered. But, but some people you know, do. We'll ask, we'll ask it anyway. Okay, I'm gonna. You can zone out, but for the for the listener who might be interested, I am a Pisces, so top line on that: emotional, creative, yeah, quite prone to like fantasy, like fantasy and and and, and dreamy. My rising is Libra, and again, top line Libra kind of traits are trying to be quite balanced, quite fair quite um bothered about appearances and make things look easy and then my moon sign my internal dialogue is Aries which is very fiery very driven and that's quite at odds with how I sometimes appear in the world but I'm, I might not I might not be into it but I am quite interested in why you are why and when did you get into your astronomy um I definitely started out as a kind. Well, I think if you grew up in uh, in our generation with like magazines aimed at teenage girls, there was always an astrology section, and 
you, you just read it because why not? And and I think that version of astrology was rubbish. And then I started to learn a bit more about it. And when I thought it was rubbish, and I definitely did, and off mic we've just been talking about how I like hippie stuff, but I also like things that make sense to me. And then the more I understood it, it begun to make too much sense. And this isn't like, oh, everybody born in February is the same. There's so much more nuance to it. And since the beginning of time, one of the only things that we had to guide us was was like where we sit in the universe, like physically. And I, I think it would be really naive to think that that has no impact on the way things are. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think maybe our generation, or me anyway, were kind of um, put off a little by your mystic Megs and all that kind of thing. That was it was kind of a, a thing of, of a bit of a bit of ridicule, wasn't it, back in the day? Mm-hmm. But like for, like forever, people have used yeah our place in the in the solar system as a reference point. But actually, we should just take a moment. Mystic Meg died very recently. Yeah, she <laughs> did. Yeah. She did, bless her. She was, you know, she might have been all right. I think that the way it was distilled to us wasn't right. But yeah, I mean, I think, again, we've done podcasts on it. If you know a bit more in other cultures, like I think it's particularly Italians, it's very part of the common rhetoric to to ask people, you know, what their birth chart looks like. And what's your favourite crisp? Now, this is a big one because I've, you know, you've... You often get into the crisp dialogue, and actually, we spend more time typically on the crisps than we do about the "how are you really" and the "what star sign are you" questions. But I've never really got a a, a, a grasp on what is your favourite crisp. I was, I was going to say I've never met a crisp I I don't like. I don't like kettle <laughs> chips. That is the only the only top line. But my my absolute favourite crisp is the, the most boring answer of all time is a ready salted Walkers. Wow. Wow, that is a really standard boring crisp. Just so delicious. Wow. I didn't expect you to say that, actually. You thought I was going to get something a bit that. more wanky. Well, I did, yeah. I wondered if it might be a bit, yeah, a bit, a bit funky. Well, what I is like... It about, what is it about a, a really salted walkers that uh, does it for you? Well, it's just absolutely fail-safe. It's just, it goes with anything. It's just delicious i do like if i was to choose a, a like more wanky crisp it would be those torres um black truffle ones oh they're good aren't they they're so good but they are good i think in the end you'd get sick and and just be happy with the walkers yeah, yeah truffle can be a bit rich if you eat... oh, this is such a middle class conversation isn't it <laughs> yeah, truffle can more... be a bit <laughs> oh dear as i said it i was thinking i just shouldn't yeah no yeah um have you got a secret talent or party trick? Oh, I feel like, oh uh, yeah, I I have actually. <laughs> Go on, this is exciting. I can um, fit a, a whole packet of chewits in my mouth at once. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? If we had more time and, and access to chewits, I'd be asking to do it right now. I actually once did a live on it on Instagram and then really instantly regretted it because it's actually quite a dribbly state of affairs. And <laughs> the fitting it in is one thing. The, then chewing it to digest it a is a different one. Mm. Wow. That's yeah. incredible. You know, we're only nine <laughs> minutes and 22 seconds in and I found out so much that I did not know about you. There you go. Ready salted crisps and an obsessive chew it eater. Mm. Um, I did actually look you up, Clemmy. 
Oh no! Uh, because you did this to me when I was on on the oh, podcast, God. and uh, you were described as uh, you were described as a creative director slash Instagrammer slash blogger slash podcaster slash author slash fitness fanatic and a mum of three. Um, other than being a mum, mm-hmm. which bit of that is is your favourite or gives you the most satisfaction? Hmm. Good question. I wouldn't be without any of them because that's exactly the way I need to run my life is to have all of those bits. I would be torn between fitness and podcasting, which sit at very different ends of that. But they're the two bits that bring me and motherhood, obviously. How do they all how do they all kind of work together? Because presumably the the creative director bit came first, did it? And then the rest Mm -hmm. of it, the rest of it kind of flowed from that. Yeah, I think, yes, I, my career was, a, 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 it's not even was, is an agency creative director as a copywriter and, and writing ads. And this was in the mid 2000s when, when like TV ads were such an important part of culture. If you think of some of the stuff when we were growing up, Levi's ads, Tango ads, you know, they were... Oh, yeah, the Levi's huge. ads. Do you remember them with the with the Spaceman song and that kind of thing? And that little yellow puppet kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Flat Eric. Flat Eric. Yeah. And and Tango. Do you remember there was a they did a really kind of modern bit of advertising where you could ring a phone line and talk to because you was have you been tangoed? And I think the guy just came and beat someone up in a. I can't really remember. Well, there was the tangoed advert, the You've Been Tangoed one that got banned yeah. in all the schools because you, you used to run up behind someone and whack their ears. Yeah. And and that was You've Been Tangoed and it got banned in all the schools because everyone was getting it, you know, ear problems. But that was it. That was like advertising in those days was such, was huge cultural references, you know, they were the big moments. And so when I went into it, making a TV ad just felt phenomenally exciting. Yeah, it was the... It, it was the best career I could have possibly have dreamed of. But then by the time I had my kids, I'd started out on Instagram and this had, and what started as a kind of fun, something to do and, and connect me to people when I was on maternity leave suddenly blew up into another version of my career. And so I, I yeah, couldn't help but give that a go. Although interestingly, I'm now trying to go back into agencies to take a bit of what I've learned on here, on, on social media and bring it back into advertising. But that wasn't your question. What was your question? <laughs> I can't even remember <laughs> what it was. You know what? We'll get into a bit of the uh, the Instagram uh, uh, okay. uh, stuff in a little while. But I wanted to know a little bit about young Clemmy. So, because we've, we've sort of touched on it over the course of the podcast when we've talked about things like sobriety and, you know, anxiety. Maybe we've touched on, on elements of your childhood, elements of your youth. Uh, mm. But can you introduce us all to uh, to young Clemmy and and tell us a bit about what you were like uh, growing up yes I always get, start editing myself here because I know my mum will listen and have an opinion and <laughs> and, then, and my mum is also extremely sensitive so I don't want to ever insert her um who was I when I was young actually my daughter has been a very good reminder of me to know what I would have been like I think she's she represents a lot of who I was, which is very creative, very spirited, very messy, <clears throat> always up to something. A busybody, probably, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm an eldest of five, so kind of very much 
um, a bit of a kind of mini matriarch role, even from when I was young, organising my brothers and sisters and and definitely just sitting in that older sister role that I feel perhaps is what translates into my work now. It's, tr- it's trying to look after a body of people, impart some wisdom, but it probably occasionally be a bit annoying as well. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think your siblings would answer that question? What, are they, uh, what do you think they uh, made of of mummy clemmy uh, equal parts with affection and um yeah with affection but yeah definitely annoying definitely <laughs> annoying I, I yeah i've got a tendency to be bossy and i've got a tendency which i've worked really hard to move away from of, of finding comfort in being quite controlled and knowing what's going on and having a plan um but i'm, I'm trying to flex that a bit more as i get older I'm interested in the in the sobriety thing. Um, mm-hmm. Were you what about your youth? Uh, do you think kind of led you down that path? I'm cringing because I've just very quickly got a kind of um, kids of the of the '90s vision of yeah. like alki pops and yeah. You know, I I find it really interesting to unpick all this. So my relationship with alcohol was absolutely of a generation, I think. Um, I grew up with the influence of kind of ladette culture and, and um, if girls can keep up with the boys. And, and definitely I've got kind of tendencies where I like to get involved and get stuck in and I probably would have been called a tomboy in in lots of ways you know and so it was very natural for me to to yeah try and sink the pints at the same rate as the boys again I've touched on it but I worked in advertising it's a definite work hard play hard industry it was we had a free bar on a Thursday night wow it was it was a lot about getting drunk and partying and None of it I thought was abnormal, but if I reflect at uni, I would quite often drink to the point of not being able to remember stuff. And that was something we joked about, you know, oh, I don't remember what I did between, don't, don't remember getting home. And the further I come back from that, the more that makes my palms sweat because I think of the like risky situations I put myself in. And also what on earth you're doing to your liver and your brain if if you get to points where it's, shut down but really aside from the regret of behavior and again it's nothing terrible it's just not a person that I want to be now I also ended up getting crippling anxiety when I drunk and I often say that we are very like versed in saying oh I can only have two coffees and it or it makes me jittery for me I got to the point if I had like one drink I would have crippling self-loathing and terrible anxiety the next day and I became so obsessed with trying to manage that Ben was talking about it the other day he's like before you before you gave up drinking like 24 hours before we went out and again when I say going out by this point I had three kids so I wasn't like out out I would be like right well we must leave at 10 and I would try and like drink water obsessively all to avoid feeling awful the next day and then I just had this light oh moment of of this mitigating feeling terrible is not worth the 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 drink so so let's have a go at giving it up and I, I didn't expect it to be the life shift that it was but it 
I honestly think it's the single best thing that I've ever done for myself. Yeah. So interesting talking about the nineties because I, you know, we're of a similar age. Mm-hmm. I'm a little bit older, I think, aren't I? But talk about like the late nineties, the early two thousands. You know, going out and and getting drunk every every single weekend. You know, at university every single weekend. But I, but I look back now, maybe like with the wisdom of being a forty something. And I remember going to, you know, going out on nights out and 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 um. Some nights where you turn up a bit a bit later or something, everyone else has already been out for a while and you're you're a bit later. And you and you have to, you know, play catch up, we used to call it. So you used to sink as many drinks as you could to try and get to the level of everybody else. And I think if I look back now and I think to myself, like, what was I actually trying to do with that? What was what was the point of that? Was I completely unable to have a good time mm. until I was at the level of everybody else? And you look back now and you think that that says a lot actually about your kind of state of mind back then, doesn't mm. it? That you, 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 and your confidence, your self-esteem, your, you know, all, all that kind of thing that you mm. weren't, you know, I think an awful lot of people would have been the same that we weren't able to have a good time until we felt like we'd, we'd reached a certain level. Completely. It's really odd because I think that the thing that kept me drinking and actually I have messages about this all the time. People are like, oh, but I don't want to look boring if I don't drink. Yeah, that's and, it, isn't it? I mean, what when you actually pack that down, unfortunately, because I used to tell myself, oh, you know, I'm really fun when I drink. That's that's the real me being unleashed. No, it's not. The person who's a little bit more gossipy and a lot more extrovert if I edit them when I'm stone cold sober, that is really the person that I want to show up in the world. And yes, there is a, there is a little sweet spot, especially, you know, in the, in the height of parenting where you have a drink and it it like just relaxes the shoulders enough. And that is the bit that I craved, but to dance that line, you know, it's, it's very difficult. And, and I think, for me, in the first bit of being sober, it was learning how to socialise sober. Now, I'd done it when I was pregnant, but you're kind of in a different headspace then. But I'd been drinking on a night out since I was 16 or 17. It's like I, I went from kind of kids' parties to any version of adult adult socialising was with a drink in my hand, which is wild. Yeah, it is. But, and I think, like you say, it is quite generational. Interesting uh, a term that you just used then, which pops up a lot in, in our conversations on this podcast, is is the real me, and and it's and it's an interesting it's an interesting concept though, isn't it? What is the real you, mm-hmm. and whether there is actually is there actually a real you, or is the is is the real you just the version of you that you you want it to be the most, or or what is what would you say the real you is? Who is who is that person now, and perhaps you know compared to who it was going back fifteen twenty years? Well, we again we we often joke that the the real me is a little bit more boring, and and I actually again have learned that that is excellent. Like I thought I was I definitely always craving excitement and and fun, and now the older you get or the older I get, the more I find joy in in comparatively mundane things but so often I would be like oh I you know I should go out I should do this but if you take all the shoulds out 
And if if I can, again, sticking on the drinking theme, if I can only go and have a good time when I've had three Proseccos, and actually if I didn't have three Proseccos, I wouldn't want to hang out there, then that means that, yeah, it's not the right thing. But the real me is probably more introvert. Um, I love a deep and meaningful chat. <laughs> and so, like, were you drinking? Do you think to get away from that introverted person because you didn't yeah. want to? You didn't want to be that person. Well, I just, I just. The thing is, I can be very extrovert, but with only with people I know very well, which I think is mm. probably uh, the older I get, the more I think there aren't many true, true extroverts. Most yeah. people are, yeah, uh, uh, more comfortable in smaller groups and, and not being in the spotlight. So I think I was drinking, yeah, to, to give myself confidence. You're right, it's self-esteem. Um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Did you always want to become a mum? Was that always the plan? Well, it's interesting. I Because of that being the eldest of five, I, it just, I often, in fact, we've, we've got an episode out that today, well, yeah, yesterday, <laughs> haven't we, Steve, which is about... Um, women without children yeah and and when I was preparing for that podcast of Ruby I was thinking did you ever stop to think did you ever decide that this was your path or I just absolutely like so many of us just did the thing that I thought I was going to do and of course it's it's an absolute gift but I didn't really I didn't think about the reality of it but yeah I did always want to be a a mum and you always wanted to have a I guess maybe like being being one of five was it always a plan to have a, a big family yeah I thought I was gonna have four I really did and then I had three <laughs> and I, well, I'm, I'm doing this interview with Steve he's a, a, gonna become a, a dad of three next week <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what by the time people are listening to this I, I will be a dad of, of three whereas as we're recording uh, I'm a dad of one uh, that's a bit mad, of my word it? yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, once we had three, uh, that I knew that there was no part of us, our relationship, our finances, our capacity that could have any more. You know, it, it, I want. Yeah, I didn't have anything more to give to anyone else. But I did always. I wanted that rabble that I had when I was growing up. Um, but I definitely am aware that the bigger the family you have, you have a massive gift in terms of always having people to play with and a whole crew and that full house feeling, but you can't then give each respective child the individual attention that they would have um, if they're in a smaller family. So it's it's a payoff, isn't it? Yeah, we're, we're actually having that with Freddie at the moment, my seven-year-old. We're, we're trying to explain to him that it's going to be different when the twins arrive and it's... And actually, after this podcast, we're going out for a nice little day out, me and him together, just to have some quality time before it all goes a bit crazy. Uh, because it's you know it's got to be hard for a seven year old to understand that uh, for the first seven and a half years of your life, you've been the be all and end all in daddy's life, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, I mean, he obviously will always be that, but 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 you know, with with other people, you know, butting mm. in on the attention a little bit, and that's that's got to be quite difficult. How how did you how did you kind of cope with that when you had your second and your third child? It's 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 definitely difficult. But actually, we were talking yesterday, Ben and I, about the the value of siblings. You know, our kids are doing a lot of 
my third Greta is is now five, so she is definitely a contender in the battles. You know, before she was always <laughs> a little one. There's now three of them vying for, you know, the constant negotiations about what they're watching on TV, who's sitting in what seat, what meal they should have for lunch. You know, and it and there's so much value in that learning to deal with conflict, learning yeah to negotiate. So, but that might might not feel like a gift to them at that moment but it but it will do in the, in the long term so but it's difficult for the age gap between my boys is only 22 months and I, and I look back at Bertie just before Woody was born I was like oh you didn't really have much of a stint mm. of being the number one guy in our life and actually then he went to school and Woody got some time on his own and then the boys got some went to school and Greta got some time on their own and I actually feel like yeah Bertie my eldest got the least but that's probably me projecting because I'm the eldest and I know what it is to kind of keep being shared out but ultimately he's gonna have he's gonna have some siblings soon it's gonna be amazing yeah yeah he's looking forward to it uh you mentioned Ben a few times mm-hmm. how does Ben fit into this puzzle uh, that is Clemmy how does <laughs> uh when did he uh, uh when did you meet Ben and and what's you know Perhaps introduce us a bit to Ben. We haven't we don't really know much about Ben. Uh, okay, I met Ben when I was, I think, I don't know. Actually, it's our uh, 15, oh, <laughs> 15 or 16. 15 or 16. I met him when I was, oh, God. Oh, uh, yeah. Like 24, 20. I was drunk when I met him. And that Ben and I partied together very hard. I think I was around 23, 24. Yeah, I think we're... Next week is our 16 years of being together, not being married. Um, Ben is, Ben and I share a similar characteristic. He's an Aries for those listening. We are both very, um, when when we decide to do something, we do it. And I think actually often to our detriment, like we've, we've done two big house renovations. We've knocked out the children. We like, we, we're a like go 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 couple but how Ben is very different from me and I think probably where I was initially attracted to him is that he is not an overthinker he is a kind of glasses always half full sometimes really very annoyingly to be honest the eternal optimist um and that's actually funny because my we used to always argue when when we're going on holiday he is so excited like a like a child like giddy 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 and I was just like you know the opposite end of the scale always a bit anxious on the traveling day trying to get everything organized and he could never understand why I was so finding him annoying and then now particularly our middle child Woody is very much like him and on the ceiling on holiday days I'm like here you go here we are the mirror is being shot back he's like why is he so all over the shop like this is it this is what it's been like being married to you um, so he, yeah, Ben is a very good counter to my overthinking, overanalyzing, want to talk everything through mind. Has he always been on board with you sharing everything about your life so openly and honestly on your social media and things? Um, yeah, like that's a con- it's a constant check in. I think. Yeah, I think when he would question it is when it's been to the detriment of me. There was there was a time when 
I got very weighed down in, you know, those trolling sites and definitely had a massive impact on my mental health for a bit. And so therefore he wouldn't, yeah, he would probably wish that that wasn't being inflicted on me or that I had inflicted that on myself, I guess, by opening up. But we have an ongoing dialogue about where the boundaries are. You know, my kids aren't on there anymore, although I put a video up this week where you can see them. And before I posted it, I was like, can you see their faces? Could you identify them? And he's like, no, that's fine with me. Um, When, you know, we've had times, of course, we've been married 12 years or th- coming up to 13 years. And we've had some really, really rough times. And um, I've tried to shine a light on that sometimes so that people know that, you know, marriage is tough. But I've always tried to do that in a way that is respectful to us without sharing too much of the the dirty laundry in public, but also make it be honest. It's quite a, a line to dance, I suppose. Yeah, but I think that's that was actually going to be one of my next questions about, you know, what is it that maybe when you did start sharing your story that you thought mm. maybe was so relatable to people? And I think it, it probably is that that warts and all thing you know mm-hmm. I, I had I had that with Rachel um, and my first wife and you know people like Deborah Deborah James uh, Dame Deborah James sorry mm-hmm. uh, sorry Deb um it was warts and all it wasn't just mm-hmm. the good bits it was the it was the really challenging bits as well um do you think that's that's maybe the case that, that and, and and if so kind of what um yeah what do you think it maybe is that when you did start sharing your story it really grabbed people's attention. I think the the core value across everything is honesty, 100%. You know, when I started out on Instagram, and, and it's interesting to reflect on that time now, seven years ago, I'd, I'd had two kids very quickly, and I'd found the first year of parenting, like everybody, impossibly hard, but also incredibly lonely. I'm the eldest of my siblings, so none of them had kids. I was the first of my friends. I literally knew, knew no one with kids and I'd had this big career and suddenly I was suddenly I was yeah at home not really knowing who I was not really knowing what I was doing and then when I had my second quite quickly and and that's when Instagram started it was a real shift I found all these people all you know Zoe don't buy her uh, Zoe dressed like a mum Steph don't buy her flowers on mumsy mum Anna, Mother Pucker, all coming through. And I was using it to go, oh, my word, motherhood's amazing, but it's really, really hard. And that dialogue feels really obvious now, but in beforehand, it re- it really wasn't. It there, were, there was only parenting books. There was no, there wasn't an honest dialogue around parenting. And then, and so as soon as I started sharing the difficult bits, People started sharing them back with me. And now we're in a world where we talk about engagement and community. Honestly, all I was wanting to do is is save myself and and find people who would talk about the reality of it, find some friends, fill the days because, you know, my first maternity leave was literally going to Boots, coming home, going buying a slice of cake. Didn't know what to do with myself. Um, but the problem with honesty as a kind of core value and that translates on online and offline is is the knowing the boundaries of I want to share an honest version of my life 
but I don't want to leave myself vulnerable. And I think what the, the kind of trolling chapter that we're talking about was my first realisation of needing to put more boundaries in than I first realised. Let's just go back a little bit because you talked then just a bit about about some of the challenges. Let's get a little bit Elizabeth Day on this. What what do you think have been your 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 biggest challenges? Your biggest your biggest uh, I thought I say failures. Well, that's her mm-hmm. thing, isn't it? We'll leave leave failures to her. But what Sorry, what have you. been what have been life's biggest challenges? Oh, good one, Steve. Um, I think oh. The one of the most challenging chapters was that early bit of motherhood, and I think as I have reflected on it, it was um, actually a lack of willingness to change. I think I truly believed I could be the person that I was before having kids, and the reality is, you've got to let that person go, and you know you, you can ease back towards that person afterwards, but. I think I so wanted to keep my identity as as everything I'd been as Clemmy without kids that that gripping onto a life that had gone was my undoing you know I was I was trying to still wear exactly the same clothes trying to I went back to work quite quickly when Bertie was 8 months old tried to carry on this big career and act like I wasn't extremely sleep deprived etc cetera, etc cetera. so but as soon as I went, you know what? I'm a mum now. I'm, I my life ultimately revolves around them, and then I piece myself back into that. That was the moment it stopped being this, yeah, this awful challenge. We've actually just been through our our NCT class, mm-hmm. and for the second time uh, for me, and amongst eight couples in the NCT class, I was the only person who'd, who'd had a child before. Mm-hmm. And it was actually really insightful to listen in on conversations um, between people who didn't have any idea what was coming as someone who has a, a reasonable idea what's coming. Mm-hmm. You know, there was one chap who, 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 you know, quite understandably was, was talking about, you know, really wanting to get his, you know, their lives back about to normal or introduce some normality as quickly as possible after the baby was born, you know, he said, you know, really hoping we can go for dinner within the first couple of weeks. And I, I'm, I'm just thinking, I, I just, it's really hard to, like, to hard to explain to you just how big this adjustment is going to be. Mm. And, and you know, try the first two months, you might get out once, P- probably not even, you know, it's really, really hard. But it was, mm. it was really interesting to, and I tried my hardest not to kill all their hopes and dreams <laughs> <laughs> but but um it was really difficult not to because I think your expectations before you have a child are, are, are quite unrealistic and mm. you only but you only realize that once you get through the first year and you think wow I had no idea that, of the impact this would have no I don't think you're right I mean actually that is the, the joy of subsequent children by the time we had Greta I was like well we're not gonna sleep for the next year and then actually every time we did get a decent night's sleep that felt like a massive win it's like oh yeah we're not going out for dinner and then lo and behold when a window does come and you can go out for dinner 
again, it's a victory and it just is that total reframing. But yeah, after my second, we were in a soft play within 48 hours of me giving birth. And I was like, wow. what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> wow. Because your adrenaline, this is the this is the real difficult bit. You're so like loved up on oxytocin because you're new babies. You're so relieved not to be pregnant and to be the other side of labour. You do have this like huge adrenaline dump where you feel like you can do anything, but that doesn't last forever. And with with Greta, I was absolutely vigilant. I did this a week in bed afterwards and a week on the sofa, no visitors. I think actually our parents kind of came, but. I stayed in my pajamas so that it was like treat me as if someone of someone who've just had a major op, you know. You make the tea, I'm need to be taken care of. And it was blissful, you know, because the very nature of not having to work out what to wear, not having to think about the outside world meant I could just focus on her. And then after 2 weeks when I was significantly better recovered, I kind of went out. Uh, oh yeah. I feel ready. It's interesting how we um, we're, we're watching. Um, I don't know if you've seen This Is Us. Have you seen oh, yeah. the series This oh, Is God. Us? It's so we're emotional. we're five. We're, fi- we're we're halfway through season five, and um, <gasps> and they just what I love about about that family is is the is uh, many things, but when the children are younger, like the chaos, they don't mm. mind. You know they have food fights, they have paint fights, they they have um, what was it a sequin fight at one point, and I don't I haven't seen you have sequin fights, but it looks like your family is is this this sort of beautiful. You like that noise, you like that kind of like like slightly organized chaotic you know family kind of feel. Is that is that right? Do you know what, actually, the um, podcast we did um, with Dr. Shafali was on conscious parenting. For me, actually, really gave me a piece of language to talk about what I want. I really value manners and um, and structures and being committed to projects and, you know, all those core values. But I feel really strongly that I also I want my kids to have a a childhood where they can have fun and freedom my my childhood was in moments a little bit feral but we did a lot of being out in the garden and you know making potions and yeah dens and probably doing some we were talking about we had a rope swing in the garden it was realistically extremely dangerous yet none (laughs) of us none of us ended up with broken limbs you know and actually the other day Greta who's my five-year-old was using a pen knife to open a box and I really want them to understand their own boundaries on risk and 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 safety because I think that that's the only way you learn I really don't want to be the one saying you must never touch that sharp knife like within reason I don't want to slice your finger off but you the only way you realize that a, a knife is sharp is to you know possibly cut yourself so yeah I I do like a a lot of chaos because I think that's I think that's where you learn so much of who you are and all my siblings are are really creative and I do think that people creativity as as a a skill is something you have to nurture and that isn't done within within really strict boundaries yeah Yeah. one of my sons is really really into baking 
And the reality is, it's really an- messy and annoying. But he made <laughs> he made cinnamon buns from scratch, as in all the pastry, wow. all the dough. And he's taught himself that. And wow. I mean, they were delicious. And and the only way he's done that is by me accepting that there's going to be a messy kitchen at yeah. the end of it. And I, yeah. and again, on that mm. podcast, she was very clear. We can push our children all we like, you know, drive them to to do all these clubs. But actually, if at home they're able to experiment and learn and they will also develop into the people they're meant to be if you allow that. You've you, you guys have moved the family out of London down to the beach uh, yeah. recently. Um, before we start talking uh, talking about the podcast, uh, just yeah, quickly on. Uh, do you think London living? What well, a do you think London living was good for you? And b, what has been so wonderful about moving to the beach? London living was really good for me for a chapter of my life, um, and actually even. Right, like definitely when my career was, the, you know, in my 20s when socialising and my career and being wanting to be like very fingers on the pulse, it, it it couldn't have been better. And I think actually early motherhood, it was great because you could walk out the door and there was stuff, you know, there were so many things to do. But as soon as my kids could kind of run around, I realised how deeply connected I grew up in the countryside. And I, at the bit that I just described, that being muddy outside, I really hated not seeing my children have that. We we had a tiny, tiny courtyard garden and we could go to the park, but it's, it's not that kind of free play. Yeah. And uh, yeah, my eldest two are boys and honestly, all they want to do is kick a ball. All they want to do. And I was constantly telling them off for that. Whereas it actually, <laughs> I want you to go outside and kick a ball. Of course I do, rather than be yeah. on the screen. Um, <clears throat> so unfortunately for us, we were trying to leave from like 2018. And then the pandemic, you know, what we hit. And so we had, yeah, we had two years of actual pure hell, to be honest. Our house was far, far, far too small for us. And we we're in lockdown. But it did mean by the time we did move the end of last year, there was no wobbles. You know, we were so desperate to leave um, that it, that it's been, yeah, the best thing we ever did. Um, let's move on to the podcast now because we are a hundred episodes in. Yay. This is number 100. Um, which I don't know if this is asking you to pick your favorite child, but which, which, which conversations do you think, can you pick out any from the hundred uh, or from the 99 or perhaps include this one from the 100 um, that have been the most insightful or had the most yeah. impact on you so there's some that have stayed with me because they've been windows into worlds that fortunately I haven't had to um, experience myself one on domestic abuse um, one on um, child abuse those kind of conversations and, and that will always stay with me because they're just shocking but the ones that have really stayed with me I did an episode with Joe Westwood on codependency and it's sometimes quite strange for me because this is a bit like a therapy session and I'm sitting there having a conversation and suddenly understanding lots more about myself so yeah um, about people pleasing and kind of over trying to over deliver to people and that being a spiral of resentment 
that was huge. Similarly, and the episode with Caroline on burnout um, and challenging yourself to not be scared of rest. Um, and then episode on anxiety uh, with, I can't remember her name, Ellen, Dr. Ellen. Um, and, and she, yeah, and her talking about how anxiety we, we pin as a mental health thing, but actually it's to do with our body. And I really have found that to be true to myself that um, particularly alcohol, what I was putting into my body was, was, was affecting my mental health. I know the same with if I don't look after what I'm eating, but all of those, yeah, all of those have been huge personal bits of the puzzle for me where I was like, okay, I'm understanding something more about myself, but on a kind of bigger picture, being able to talk to anyone for an hour with no interruptions feels like the ultimate luxury these days. It it mm. just doesn't happen. You know, even with I'm sitting with Ben or with my best friends or with my family, there's still a phone on the table. You know, your your attention is constantly pushed to the outside world. I just I just love it. The phone on the table thing is really interesting. I, I saw someone talking about this the other day and I've really tried to stop doing it because um as somebody was saying that if you put your phone on the table even if you look like you're talking to someone you're telling them that there might be something that might mm. be more important mm-hmm. and, and i think that's that's so interesting mm-hmm. the the codependency uh, episode was was a is a really good is a really good one that you mentioned actually because i'm a massive people pleaser and i think i'd probably all, always seen that as being a good thing amy calls me a golden retriever you know we've got a golden retriever in the house uh bodhi and he always he likes to bring things to people. He likes to bring you a blanket. He's happy if everyone else is happy. My dad's exactly the same. Uh, he's happy if everyone around him is happy. You know, he and he and he and he and all he wants to do is make other people happy and fix things for people, fix things that are going wrong. And I'm a little bit like that. And I always kind of saw it as being a, a really good thing. And I think mm-hmm. you know, in some ways, it is. But I never really thought about it as being a a negative before and that that episode was really interesting for me as well has it changed you in any way have you like been more aware of where the line, the boundaries are on that i've definitely been more aware of it it's been very difficult with amy being pregnant for the last nine months you you your your role as the other half mm. is to kind of be a people pleaser mm. you know you've got mm-hmm. to be You've got to be a punch bag at times. Mm-hmm. You've got to wait on them hand and foot because, you know, you know, it's what Amy's found is, is it's not this Instagram movie version of pregnancy <laughs> where people bound around, you know, looking beaming, looking like it's, you know, the best thing in the world. It's really hard, isn't it? And particularly mm-hmm. with a twin pregnancy, mm-hmm. uh, Amy's found it, Amy found it very difficult, particularly like the last, the last trimester. She's been very uncomfortable today. For example, she's, she's feeling rubbish. I'm like mm-hmm. really, really uncomfortable in a lot of pain. We're only a few days away from you know, D-Day now. So she's feeling, you know, she's not feeling great. And I think, yeah, so for the, the last nine months, I have sort of been, I've had to do that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, definitely uh, uh, going forward. Um, and, and and the idea of being selfish you know, the other week, um, the idea of being selfish as being, you know, not a negative thing. Mm-hmm. It's something that I'd never really thought about, and and uh, you know such negative connotations to that word, whereas actually, 
all it means is looking after yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that sometimes. It's so interesting. This week, there's two things I pulled out of. Both, <coughs> one, watching my brother's gig and two, doing a powerlifting competition tomorrow. And it, I have, it is so uncomfortable for me to pull out of stuff because I just have this, yeah, letting people down, letting myself down. But I'm exhausted. I'm absolutely exhausted. And I knew that if I did both of those things, I would just push myself to a point that is quite harder to come back from. But it's so interesting that that experience of 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 saying no to stuff and why mm. why that feels bad. My brother doesn't mind. My brother would like me at his gig, but he ultimately doesn't mind. It was only me competing in this competition for me. But it's very difficult to learn, yeah, to know your yeah. limits on stuff, I think. On the powerlifting thing, yeah. I meant to ask you this, actually. What... What do you think that has given you? Because it's it's a really interesting thing, I think, um, that probably, well, I mean, when you tell me, going back you know, 25 years, 25-year-old, well, not 25 years, that's 15 years, isn't it? Sorry, not yeah. 50. Going back 15 years, would 25-year-old Clemmy have, have imagined that you'd be in powerlifting competitions? I think she'd quite like it. um I've definitely always been someone as I said who got stuck into stuff and had a go at things but powerlifting has been pretty life-changing for a few reasons number one we've touched on it a few times in the podcast but I similarly in the 90s I come from this era of diet culture and of of my single aim for many, many, many years of my life, in every aspect of my life, but particularly in food and exercise, was to be the skinniest, smallest version of myself at all costs. Um, and in order to be strong, you're it just is a different journey. I want my body to be, yeah, as strong as it can be, which means that where my body naturally wants to be which isn't tiny, it's just healthy, is its optimum place. And that is just such a relief to go to the gym and not be trying to sweat sweat as much as I can. It's it's to get stronger. And the, and the other thing about powerlifting is it's a very, very, very slow journey. You do the same things over and over and over and over and over again, to, for occasionally for gain, often not for gain. And again, from the way I am in a lot of things I have in in a more addictive personality trait so I want quick wins I want that quick high I used to do CrossFit which is a kind of sweat get a massive rush and do it again and again whereas this is like not many highs lots of graft and that and that kind of discipline is is really useful for me I think I'm going to finish with uh with with an interesting question um what and this was um I only thought this this morning, right? When I was I was tidying up a, a few bits of paper in my little uh, office room, and there was um there's a bit of there's a bit of paper that uh, uh like a like a coloring um, a sheet that Freddie had had in a restaurant uh, last year. It wasn't just your regular your regular kind of coloring sheet. Uh, sheet. It was a little bit a little bit deeper than that, and so it had it had some coloring on it, uh, but it also had. Five things I like about myself. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I thought to myself, I wonder what Clemmy would say if I said, "Give me five things that you like about yourself." Oh my word! I, I've literally just covered my face with my hands. I, I find that the an unbelievably triggering question, which is very revealing. Um, 
I like my determination. Um, I like my creativity. This is going to dwindle quite quickly. Um, I might. I like my resilience. Mm, I like my strength. Oh, and I like my humour. There we go. There we go. Perfect. Got there. You got there. Um, okay. It's a good question, Steve. Gonna... That's, that's, I'm going to steal one, that. It? Yeah. It, it is a good one, isn't it? Yeah. I liked it. I liked it. I liked it. And it's it was it, it was really funny. I thought that it was, yeah, I'll show you. I mean, Freddie wrote, I'm seven and I smell. <laughs> <laughs> you should keep that. Um, you should frame yeah. it. Uh, but he, he, yeah, they had, I'll show it to you now, but they had little five things I like about myself and a gratitude yeah. glass oh. on a sheet from Piccolino, uh, Piccolino restaurant. Well, it's a chain, isn't it? But yeah, I liked it though. Mm. Um, I'm stealing that. Before we go, mm-hmm. where can people find you? And is there anything oh, you... you want to shout about? Oh, you're doing all my things. This is very I'm doing weird. All your things. Um, I'm in a few places these days. Um, I'm at, at Clemmy Telford on Instagram, uh, but why podcast on Instagram? And also the Took Forever Home. We haven't talked about it that much, but I've been undertaking this this monster renovation. And it's, I'm documenting it on there. And also, I'm newly dabbling in LinkedIn, which is a wild but quite LinkedIn's fun good. place. Yeah. Mm, LinkedIn's I'm good. Cle- I'm obviously Clemmy Telford on there. Come on over. Um, yeah, that's all, that's all my things. And if you could have an honest conversation with one person, who would it be and what would you say? I think it's, it's actually going to go full circle to where you begun this. I would uh, go back to whatever 10, 11, 12-year-old me, and say it's all going to be all right. Well, that's all a good answer. Go. I did a lot of um, very heavy therapy a year ago, EMDR, which is um, like reprocessing traumatic things. And my parents got divorced at 12, when I was 12, and it, it was very traumatic. And what kept on coming up in that therapy is me, <clears throat> adult me, walking into various traumatic moments from that time and taking 12-year-old me out of it. That's where my brain kept on going, which is really significant, I think. You know, yeah, I, I, I want to be the adult that that version of me needed. Um, so that's that's my answer. Perfect way to wrap it up. I've always wondered what you would say there. We've had different, uh, we've had, we've had dogs, we've had kids, we've had dead parents, we've had all sorts of things over the time, haven't we? But that's, yeah, interesting. There you go. What a weird experience. Thank you you very much. How's it been? (laughs) Yeah, it's good. I I worry, I'm all going to cut myself to pieces now, I worry that I haven't like given very considered answers, but I guess this is the whole point. You want the uncut version of me. I think it was great. Um, I'm I, I, I'm just going to let it run, and you can wrap this one up. Oh no! Okay, I can't remember how I use yeah. No, I'm actually just going to get my notes here. Bear with, listener. I mean, first of all, reflection on how that was. That was really exposing, <laughs> and I don't know why because I've obviously been a guest on lots of podcasts before, but usually that's under a certain topic, and also that is usually me in work mode 
either because I've been off this week or because it's Steve or because it's my podcast, you've just heard me be very much, I think, the person that my friends and family know, which I kind of try and put out online, but there are some definite boundaries around it because although I want to be honest, I don't want to be vulnerable. And now I am going to feel really vulnerable, but that's good. That's good. It means you've done your, your job well. Um, let me know. Get in touch at either But Why Podcast or But Why at ClemmyTelford.com. And let me know if you like this as a regular feature, if we do this at the end of every um, series, or if I can't sleep for the next week, we won't do it at the end of every series. <laughs> um, yeah, probably a bit of both. Um, thank you very much for listening. As always, please do rate, review, subscribe, share it. We're always trying to get new listeners. And this is the last um, episode of this series. We'll be continuing to put out But Why Bite Size on a Monday. And we've got a little um, new series coming, or a, I don't know, a sub-series called Meet the Founder, where I have honest conversations with business owners. So that's going to sit between this episode, this series and series nine which will be with you shortly thank you so much for listening and thank you steve for for putting me <laughs> put me in the hot seat i think i should say thank you to you because i think it was it was a really a really insightful interesting listen so thank you